reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Thanks for reading the text for us this morning. That, that is awesome. Um, if you looked in your bulletins, what Bill sent me actually, I, I, when I looked at this, he sent me this text, and this, this, I love this text. It's one of my, it's my, fav, my favorite prophetic Christmas text. But Bill sent me this text, and then he sends this, the, the title, and this is your fault. He sends this title. He sent the title, The Difference That Jesus Makes. I thought, well, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing to me here? Okay, this morning, I want you to sit, because I'm going to just tell you the difference that Jesus makes, right? No, no, that's your theme for the year, or is it for the next 10? Is that your 10-year theme? Just for the next four weeks. Next four, four weeks. Yeah. And I'm going to say, but I get this, I don't know this, and I'm doing a one-off. So in a one-off, I'm going to tell you on a Sunday morning the difference that Jesus makes from, from this text. Really? You know how this should work? Bill should come up here and preach. I'll sit down there, and then I'll, I'll be the cr- critic of this. If you can compile the difference that Jesus makes from this text into one Sunday, you are the best speaker that I have ever heard, and actually the fastest. Like, like this is impossible. Okay, okay. So this isn't going to be a one-off. The thing is, Ryan's taking over next Sunday. But Ryan, I, we, we should have actually conversed. I didn't know you were after me. And we could have said, hey, you know what? R- Randy, you handle this part of it, and I'll try and work with this part of it. But, any, but Bill, honestly, for me, the question that he asked, did you listen to it again? The difference that Jesus makes... Like, that's the right one. That's the right question, Bill. It really is. I love it because it's, um, what's, what's the word? It's, uh, in, in empiricism, what it means is it's, it's active. It's something, it, I like to see that there's an actual difference, not just in my cognitive world of what I think of here, but the difference that he makes in the way I live. It's got to make some kind of a difference, right? What, like, the difference that Jesus makes is not that we come to church on Sunday morning and we sit in the pew and we listen to a guy who, and, and you have to be the decider of that. Does he spout off? Does he, does he give you a few ideas? Or, a, or is he actually talking to you about what Jesus has said and done? And actually, that when I, I look into what I see that Jesus has said and done, and does it impact my life in, in real ways, right? That's why, I, that's why I love that title, except... I needed three for the Sunday, and already I'm looking at it, and I'm going, okay, what am I going to cut out, because I just have, I have too much. So, what I want to do, and I, I like to always, I do like to tell you what I, what I want to do, is, um, is I would like to go directly from the text, <clears throat> and I'd like to give you a few points this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you the difference of darkness to light. I'm going to give you uh, the difference that Jesus makes uh, as far as, um, I'm just scrolling, the Prince of Peace. You you found those in one one solid little verse there, the Prince of Peace. And I'm going to talk to you about, I think I'm, I don't, I don't have time for a wonderful counselor. Ryan, I don't know. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip wonderful counselor. I've got a great, I've got it. I, I could tell you, but it's too much. I'm going to cut that. I'd like to talk to you about mighty God. I've got I've to talk to you about mighty God because that really is something that's impacting me right now. And I think you would like to hear 
I, I think, really, I'm serious, like, I, it's, it's, I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I think you would like to hear about the mighty God because it really has changed me or is changing me. And then also, I'd like to talk about the everlasting Father. So what have I got? Four points, right? Ryan, you should be, have an X on that right away. No more than three. A good Mennonite pastor, three, done. And you, you know, and tell people what you're doing ahead of time, so. All right? Okay, so that's my preamble. And it's a little bit of introduction, but I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to give you a start. You do know what happens in this text here. This is written from Isaiah. This is about 640 years before the time of Christ. And we're about 2,000 years after. And there's like the, the, time, the time shifts here are just because it's prophecy. So what you have happening is Isaiah is telling a people who aren't going to listen to this message. Are you, get, are you getting this? Right, right away, Isaiah is telling a people who aren't going to listen to this message about the hope and about the way of life that is coming. And not only are they going to dismiss it, but they've already decided on their own fate that they are not going to listen in, because the, the, world, the world has gone astray. The world is, is really difficult for them. Um, the Assyrians are going to take over and they're actually going to lose, lose their country. And their, their forms of worship already have been more than questionable. And, Jesus, and God himself, Yahweh, is, is one of their ways of worship among many. They're, and so already they're listening and they're going, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not. And it's really sad that for, for that many years they're going to be, as the text says, living in darkness. And, and then we're going to listen to the same thing 640 years or, or 2,000 years after Christ, after we see prophecy fulfilled, and we're making the same choices. Am I going to allow Jesus to actually, this Jesus, this baby, to infiltrate my life and how is that going to change me? And we make the same choice, really. Okay, here's my introduction. <clears throat> I have to tell you the story about my dad. <clears throat> uh, my mom's cousin, his name is Stan. He, owns, he owned, a tire, owned a tire shop. He passed away. But my dad always told this story about a land deal that Stan had made. So... Stan had owned land just a little bit south of us in Saskatchewan, and he made some kind of a land deal. Now, it was, it was a strange deal, and I, I can't tell you the details. They're not important of the land deal. But my dad had, I've heard, the, I'd heard the story a dozen times. Dad told how this land deal had gone down because it was strange. So one time when we were back in Saskatchewan, we needed a couple tires for our, our trailer. We are going to bring some stuff back here. We went over to Stan's tire shop, and my dad starts telling Stan about Stan's land deal. So Stan's the guy who had had the land deal, but my dad's telling the story to the guy who had the actual deal. And I'm going, and I've heard it, and I just sort of put, but I'm listening to the deal and listening, and Stan is listening to how my dad's telling it, because it's my dad's story, but really it's Stan's story. But about halfway through, Stan, dad takes a breath and Stan goes, well, that's not exactly the way it went down, John. And my dad, without even taking a breath, said, yes, it is, and he keeps telling the story. <laughs> and I'm going, just wait a minute. Whose story, whose story am I going to believe here? Stan, the guy who actually had the land deal, or, 
my dad who's put the story together and says, no, this is how it went down. How would you know it happened to you, but I know how it went down. And in my dad's mind, that's the way the land, went, the land deal went down, and that's the way it went. You're probably going, what the world is he talking? What is his point? Look, <clears throat> I want to be clear. Things change, and the way we hear the story may be one way. But the way it actually happens sometimes, and the way the text actually asks us to listen to it, might be different. For instance, I'm going to give you the, 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 the Christmas story. You've heard the Christmas story a hundred times. How many times, how many times have you heard there was no room for him in the inn? And you've seen these little, these little stories where the innkeeper is up there and going, no, no, no room for Jesus in the inn. That's not what happened, and that's not even what the text... You did, I don't know, you knew that, or did you know that? Okay, that's not what happened. Uh, when, when you start to know anything in Jewish culture... If you, you think about it, if when Jesus and Mary, this is just my first, my little illustration of, for, for that it's just not the way you, we thought about it. If you would ever come to your, 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 your family's place and you would have to go to some kind of a, a roadhouse to go sleep, you would be the worst family in the history of, of the world in, in, their, in their thinking. Family would never, under any circumstances, ever turn away family. Impossible. Matter of fact, that's why the, the Greek word there means, is, is actually the guest room. There was no room in the guest room for Jesus because a house at that time, as you know, as you probably remember, they, they often have an upper layer, upper level, and the, the house would usually only have two rooms. If, if you check any, if, if you check back, they'd have two rooms. One uh, would be the guest room, and the other is where you do absolutely everything else. And there, and even in our Mennonite culture, you would have a barn attached to the house. My mom was telling me about uh, her grandpa, her grandpa Ents, and and there, theirs was attached. I have, I have pictures, and it, that was no different in Jesus's time in in, in uh, ancient Israel. That for for warmth and everything, that that would have been attached right to the house. It wouldn't have been uncommon. So Jesus was very likely. Uh, was born, and there wasn't room for them in the guest inn, so they probably just put them with livestock, and Jesus was, was born in that area. And there's no indication that it was the very night that they came in, like that, the whole time frame. So we've just added things that, that aren't there. But then I was telling my father-in-law this, and he said, well, then what is the message in there? And for, for me, I looked at, at it, I thought, well, what is the message then? But in that, in that culture, to think of some wise men coming, or some, sh some shepherds coming from the field who were, uh, who, who, were, who were sort of frowned upon, coming and knocking at the door saying, you know, I think a baby's been born here. No, you're not coming. And they came in and worshipped. It would have been absolutely amazing. Anyway, that's one of the things we just need to change the way we look at. And here we're looking at a story, and I'm going to give you a few things where it's, Let's just look at things and be open to the fact that we need to maybe look at the story a bit, just a little bit differently. This is probably my favorite uh, Christmas story. I, I love this one. Um, we sang Handel's Messiah. Have you ever heard of Handel's Messiah? This is, this is key, and he shall reign forever and ever. Um, we don't want to get the story twisted, but the darkness to light thing. 
<clears throat> that's my first point. The text is really, really clear that there's a movement when Jesus comes that this is a new light that is dawning upon an entire nation, and an entire world, actually. Let me say this. We Mennonites want everything in our theology to be black and white. And I, I know it's more than us, but I know that, that we're good with this. And I have, I'm probably in that same boat. I want to know things conclusively, exhaustively. And I think there are black and white issues where, where truth shines bright. But I've come to realize that there are people who have sought God as I have in different cultures and in different ways and have sought him just as hard and love him as much as I do and think differently about the Bible than I do. What am I going to do with that? People who have, who have, who have gone into monasteries and said, listen, I am going to devote my life to seeking God. And they might have different ways of doing it. And who am I to say that God can't speak to them in the same ways that, that he has in, 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 this, in the search that I have had all my life to find this, this God. Like that's, uh, a lot of people, when, I, when, when they find out that I went to seminary, they think I went to seminary for the vocation of becoming a pastor. Actually, I didn't. I, I, didn't, I didn't go into the pastoral study track because I actually went to seminary because, well, first of all, I had problems with the way we've been teaching Revelation. That was a big issue for me. And I wanted to know more, but I thought, no, I need to know about this God more. And theology is called the study of God, but I'd like to know him for myself because I want to see how this is going to play out in real life. The truth is we differ theologically on so many issues, and there's an incredible gap between us and the world. And Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says this. It says, don't judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be judged to you. But why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And here's the kicker. With, with this text, I would like to tell you this. Our default position, we start from this, is blindness, darkness. I think it's a, it's a humble blindness. We say, God, listen, I've been tracking with you, and there's just stuff I don't know. When I was younger, I knew everything. I, I was sure that I had it. I, 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 you know, I, I went to seminary. I, my theology is right. I know why. It, and all of a sudden, as God works, I become a little bit looser and I say, oh. But in this text, he says, he says this. Why do you look at the speck in your sawdust, other eye, your, your sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Do you realize that the default position is actually a blindness caused by the things that are happening in us and we're so easy to judge? Look, do you know what Jesus said? He said that our default position was blindness. We're not starting with clear sight. Even Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, For now, I, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know full, I, I know, then shall I know even as I am known. The idea here is that the darkness of sin has clouded the vision of God's people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. These were the very people through whom God was to reveal salvation. 
You realize that. They're the ones who were to reveal God's salvation to the world, and they were the ones who were blind. And what makes us arrogant enough to think that there isn't an inherent blindness that continues to track with us in our relationships with Jesus? And yet Jesus himself is supposed to be the light of the world, the one who actually illuminates. It's Jesus that we look at, and that's why the Anabaptist, what I love about our, one thing about our theology is, is Jesus first. When I read the Bible, I read Jesus first. I look, read the rest of the Bible through, through Jesus, because Jesus is the one who came to reveal clearly in the flesh what God's really like. What I don't know about God in the past, I know through Jesus definitively. When Jesus acts one way, okay, that's how God would really act. Okay, I might have seen something different, so what I know, but because Hebrews tells me clearly that he says, look, the, best, the most that you know about God is what you see in Jesus. He said he is the exact representation of God the Father. And he came in the flesh to reveal God to us. This is the gospel, you know that, right? This is the, go- this is the good news that, that we have here is the difference that Jesus makes. Um... Jesus didn't just come to change our way of thinking about God and salvation. He came so that we would get to know him better as we talk with him, as we obey his guiding, his counseling, his guiding presence of his spirit who is actually in us. And we would grow and we would change and we'd become more like him. We'd actually share in his inheritance. That's why Jesus came to live. Jesus is the one who clarifies God's intentions. He really came to show us what God was like. Look, if you're looking for a short term for the gospel, Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, to set up God's kingdom, to shut down religion, so that we can share in God's life. That's the, that's the gospel. I'm not breaking that down for you this morning. But, but Jesus came for that, to give us light. Look, I think... The very best illustration that I could think of would, would look like, like Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan. Um, back in 1880 in, in Tuscumbia, Alabama, was when Helen Keller was born. You know, have you heard Helen Keller's story? Yeah, a lot of you have, right? So Helen Keller was a blind, deaf mute. And nobody knew, like her family had given up on her. Nobody knew what to do with her, but her tutor... Her mentor, her teacher was Ann Sullivan. And really, this is the first, the, the first time in, in history that, that, that something... These people were actually pushed to the side, marginalized, and left. Anybody with that kind of a disability would never have been part of life. They would have been pushed to the side, left out. Ann Sullivan somehow recognized something in Helen Keller. She said, she said no, there's, there's more going on. Like, her, her brain activity seems to be... I don't, I don't know what it was that, uh, that, that brought her onto it, but she tried different methods of trying to communicate with Helen Keller. And Helen Keller actually became a writer, uh, a disability rights advocate, a political rights advocate, and a lecturer. She graduated from university, this blind, deaf mute. But here's what Helen Keller wrote in her journal. She wrote this. We walked down the path to the well house, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle with which it was covered. Someone was pumping water, 
and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As the cool stream gushed over my one hand, my teacher spelled into the other hand the word water. First slowly, then rapidly, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motion of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill, returning, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew that then that what she spelled in my hand, W-A-T-E-R, I knew what it meant. That wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my other hand must have been the water. How do we learn? I think that is exactly how, how Jesus comes and all of a sudden we are awakened in some way to this new light that Jesus gives. This reference came on the back of 640 dark years and Jesus would come and get this, as a child. <laughs> Who would have thought this? If, if Isaiah hadn't told us, even when it comes to, the, comes to the story, this light of a child coming to reveal what God was like, was absolutely shocking. And that's the light that Jesus brings, the Prince of Peace. At Christmas, we often talk about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. I've been concerned about, about our, our approach to this peace the peace that Jesus brings, and I'm not sure that we've got the whole right order on this one. From the text, actually, if we, we read the whole text, go back to Isaiah again, chapter 9. Isaiah puts it this way. You have enlarged the nation, this is from verse 3, and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. There's the first war reference. He says, in, these, in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yokes that burden them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot. There's, it's not only indicated, it's actually explicit. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. There'll be no more war. The suffering, the consequences, it will be done. We'll burn them. It'll be done with war. This is incredible, this peace that Jesus comes. And you'll, you read in the other, in, the, in, in verse 6 there, that he would be called the Prince of Peace. And so we put the two together and we have political peace. I don't think the connection is quite there. Why? Well, let's take a look at our world today. Just let's look at the, the first part that we see. I'm looking at our world today and I'm watching Russia and the Ukraine have been in, in, in war for how long now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, and I, I can't imagine. I have never lived and fought in war myself. And, and I look at what's happening in Israel and, and Hamas, and we're going, what the world? This is, this is we're in the year 2023, moving into 2024, and there's this kind of animosity and hatred between religions, between countries and China, and let's let's just let's just be honest. China and um, the North and South Korea, North Korea, like that's not a great situation. China has said too, baby, we'll we'll take it back. We we want, uh, and, and maybe I've got 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 some of it, but but China is very willing to go to go to battle here, and we're going what? 
Jesus, you were supposed to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. So maybe it's not that kind of peace. Maybe what we'll do with it is say it's a spiritualized peace. It's a peace inside. Jesus comes to bring a peace inside that, that, that is absolutely other. And I think that's good. I think the order is all wrong here. Look at Here's, here's what the Bible says. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. He said, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father and, and a daughter against her mother. Matthew 24, uh, Jesus says this. Watch, and this is, this is, this is our end, as we get closer to, uh, to what you would maybe call the second coming or the next, the next coming for sure. Um, Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But this must, these things must happen, but the end is still to come. And yet the Bible's riddled with, turn from evil, seek peace. And you would also say to me, Randy, we heard you a few weeks ago pre- pre- preach on Colossians 3, and you quoted Colossians 3, and it said, let the peace of Christ rule, it's the rule of peace in your heart. We heard you, uh-huh, okay, I'm with you. But I think, I think that Jesus being the Prince of Peace, there's a peace that isn't horizontal, that comes first, and I don't think a peace that's internal comes first either. I think the peace that comes first has to be vertical. I think the peace that Jesus came to bring, first and foremost, first and foremost, is the peace with God our Father. You see, I think we would have to say that we are probably worse than what we think we are. I, I keep hearing these messages, and I, I heard just lately a guy say, listen, we're a, I know people say we're, we're really good people. And I think it's a lack of understanding that, that sin is what separates us from God and that we desperately needed a savior, an advocate who is extremely just, and you'll read in this text that he is just, so when Jesus stands before God, he says, I want your justice done, God. And God says, absolute, because I cannot let sin go unpunished. And Jesus says, absolutely, you have to be just with their sin. He says, I paid it. And the justice of God is totally and completely fulfilled and satisfied because Jesus would come as a baby and be born on a, and die on a cross for you and for me. Like, What? The difference that that makes, look, I think when I start to recognize what Jesus has done and builds this peace into my life, from there, from there I think we can see an internal peace that is different, that, that works differently. And, and you want me to put it into words, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, not good enough. I, I could talk about spirituality and how we grow. That's another message, that's a whole other vein. And, and I think it, it needs to happen because that growth, that peace that comes is, is something that's very important. But as you can tell in our world, the Bible prophesied also that, you know what, things are going to continue this in, the, in this vein. People are going to continue this way because they haven't made this peace with God. And, and he said, listen, listen, the reality is, it is the way it's going to go. So why are we surprised? Like, I guess we go, wow, I thought we were all... Yeah, humanity and all of our secular humanism, we've gotten better, but guess what? In reality, people's hearts are still dark. And there we're back to the last one. They need Jesus, and Jesus is the one who can enlighten us to see, 
I need this relationship with God, and I need it rectified. I need it made right. That's why I think this one is, is the peace that he came to bring us with God is absolutely amazing. Mighty God. <clears throat> Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Okay. It wants me to edit my note in. Uh, this is, uh, I don't know, any do use Emmanuel for, the, for your Bible text? Quote. Some of you use the, uh, what's, what's the, the other one? Um, the, the main one, the, the, the main Bible app that everybody uses. It is um, version. right, right. So I have Emmanuel. I don't know, it just said on my phone when I updated uh, yesterday, it said that, it does, it's not compatible anymore with the newest version of Android. I, I was rather upset about that. I don't know what's going to happen, but it still works on my tablet. I love Emmanuel. It works very well as a Bible app. Anyway, I was going to read for you from Mark chapter, what did I say? Thank, thank you. Mark 4. So if you're turning in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, chapter 4. And if I look back at 35 to 41. 35 to 41. Listen to this. We're looking at Jesus here again, so I'm still on track, and this still Christmas. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there were others there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. God's word. Let me just run through the story a little bit. Jesus has just been preaching, and he's tired, and he wants to go to the other side, and they put out. This, I guess... You can, you can do, do this kind of study as well as anybody. That uh, the, way, the way the hills are, the mountains are, these squalls, these furious storms, they can come up in a moment. And one comes up, and the disciples, uh, the disciples are rowing furiously, and the water is continuing to rush in. And Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat on a cushion. And they wake him, they wake Jesus up and they say to him, they say to him, don't you care if we drown? Now, this is really an interesting story about the mighty God. The mighty God. It, it, sure, it, it, it rocks my world when I, when, I, when I listen to this story. Because I'm not sure where the disciples were at at this point in their relationship with Jesus. They knew to some degree that he was a great teacher, that he that he was going to do great things or whatever, but they weren't sure to what degree. See, Galilee's not that far from Egypt. He could have learned some good magic tricks. From Magic would have come out of 
would have come out of Egypt quite, quite nicely. And so this could have worked. But when they wake Jesus up and they accuse him, they say, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus, uh, a, just as good a translation, but we, we don't want to say it, is Jesus actually has, has a two-part has a two-part uh, response to this. The first part is he talks to the wind. And a good translation is definitely this, shut up. And can you imagine that the wind, like when it's blowing heavy and it just, like it's not like it slowly died down. I was thinking, you know, it just all of a sudden, boom, it's done. But you know how it is. If you've ever been out on the, I loved to water ski when I was, when I was a bit younger. We just don't have a boat and, uh, and, and Lake Erie is often not calm enough to, to water ski, but I love glass. You, you know when the water is dead glass? So when Jesus says next to the waves, he looks at them, shut up. Like, that's, that's the literal translation. Jesus says, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's one word Greek, not be still and stop. It's just in an adamant, shut up, you're done. You know who's Lord now. This is no conjure trick from Egypt. And their response, if you read this text, I'm, I'm looking at this going, hold it, you, from, from 10, from, from not 10 meter, but maybe 3 meter waves to, to glass, I'm looking, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, okay, there's something going on here that, that is beyond what I have been imagining this Jesus was about to and their, their, their response at the beginning to the storm was they were scared. But when they hear Jesus do this, it says they were terrified. You, did you, you read that. I'm not suggesting to you that, our, that the difference that Jesus makes is that we now become terrified of him. But I would suggest to you that there's an incredible awe and a wonder at the incredible might and power that Jesus exudes. It is absolutely amazing. The idea was that life would be good if Jesus was in their boat. And see, this idea still prevails today. Jesus is, the thing that Jesus addresses in this text is, is the initial comment that the disciples made. It was this. Do you not care if we drown? And I think... So often, that is the response when all of this stuff happens in our life. Hey, do you know that? Anybody like country music? Randy Travis, way back, uh, the storms of life are washing me away. Oh boy, you gotta go listen to the song. Uh, I, I could even sing it for you. There's a dirty piece of cardboard that reads Montgomery Ward. You know, no, no? And he goes, the storms of life are washing me away. I, I knew, there, there you go. There's my country. Now you can go home and laugh and say, what? Are you? I, no, I don't. But look, life happens and this really, really difficult stuff happens. And then we say to Jesus, don't you care? Like all of this, and we, but, but the, our theology doesn't work like that. It works, look, if I live like this, 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 and I have a good religious life, then good things happen to me. And Jesus has just said to them, he, he, he never addresses anything at the beginning. He just says to the waves, he stops it, and then he says to them, he says to them, I'm going to address that issue. Do I not care? On Christmas, the very God of the universe 
humbled himself and reduced himself to a baby who needed diapers and needed breastfeeding, who needed, who needed care, the, the creator of the universe so that he would understand the things that we go through, he would go through them. And you've got the gall to say to him in this situation, don't you care if I die? Do you not know how life is really going to go? And our theology goes, and same with Job's theology. Job's theology said to God, if you just would tell me why this is happening and tell me how, I'll be okay, but you just explain this to me. And you know what God's response was? Are you kidding me? Were you there? Were you there when I decided on the four winds and how I placed them? Were you there when I created the universes and I placed the stars? Were, do you understand this? And Job finally goes, are you? I'm done. You, there are things about this Jesus, the difference that he makes that we just can't understand. He is this mighty God, the creator of the entire universe, that when he says to wind and waves, he says, that's it. They have absolutely, we know finally who is Lord and King. And the disciples at this point are terrified. It's a right response. And I think our response is awe and wonder. But when those difficulties in life, we go, we, we try to figure it out. We've got this thing. Why do, we, we have our theology. Why do good things happen? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Really? You're going to have this conversation with God now too, Right? And we think, because we've always supposed that it will work this way. I, if I live right, eat right, drink right, you know, honestly, people are still trying to think that if they get the right diet, they're going to just really not only extend their lives, they can live for, are you kidding? You're going to die, wake up. It's going to happen, and we're all going to go through it. We're going, I'm so sorry for you. Yes, I'm sorry for your loss. And Jesus is crying too for your loss. That brings me to that other story. There was a little thing I, 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 I was reading in, um, in, in, in uh, the Gospels, and I noticed how, how, Jesus, <clears throat> how Jesus was, uh, was dismayed at the death of Lazarus. You read that? And, and I, I, I noticed, and, and, and Timothy Keller, I listened to a message by him, but he pointed out, and I went and double-checked the Greek word that the Greek word for what was happening there in, uh, uh, in, La in, Lazarus's, in Lazarus' situation because, uh, first of all, Mary, Jesus responds totally different to Mary and Martha, Martha in that story. You know the story of Lazarus, right? But our NIV, which is, I find is a great translation. We have got, honestly, we've got great translations, and you can trust them. But it says that Jesus was deeply moved. That's just not strong enough. Jesus was deeply angry at death. I'm serious. If you would read the text, I was, when I looked, I went, I did not know. He looked and Jesus cries. He's deep, he, he cries, and then it says, he, this isn't his crying, his emotion. This is a different emotion. He was deeply angry at death. And he, it was, Jesus was saying, death, you and I are going to have it out. You're going to bring it on. And I am going to I'm going to whoop you, Bubba. And I, I'm going, oh, Jesus. That's the difference he makes. He is the mighty God who can not only conquer wind and waves, but he conquers death. Look, that's the one I am going to follow. And you know the other thing that Jesus says in Mark here? This should have been my whole message, right? Just this one. He says in Mark, he says this. Don't you trust me? 
what, is, what, is, what does he say? Uh, Mark 35, let me... He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you not trust me? Look, are you... The God who over... Can you trust... This is called faith. You say, well, I didn't see it. I didn't feel everything. You're going to have to... You're going to have to put this one in the faith box. But I can tell you one thing. I can tell you one thing about this story here. The funny thing that commentators are saying about this Mark story, someone might, someone might tell you, you know what, this is a great story. It was sort of a story that was handed down through tradition. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Uh, the commentators that, are writing, write, that wrote this said, it just doesn't work because, because of writing style. And you're saying, writing style tells me that this actually happened? Y- yeah, listen, listen to the story again. There's useless details. <laughs> you say, and there's lots of them. Look at the useless details that add absolutely nothing to this story. Nothing. This is written 40 years after it happened. Useless details. Look at this. Uh, when evening came, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Uh, you could do, get away with that. But this one here, um, there were other boats with him. Who Who cares? There's other boats with him. It's a useless detail. It's not a useless detail if 40 years later someone can come back and say, you know what, we think it's just a myth. He's a, no, there's other boats. There's a lot of other boats out there who actually envisioned and saw the same thing. They were actually astounded too, okay? And there's this one here. He was sleeping on a cushion in the stern. Look, only an eyewitness can tell you. What? Who cares where he's sleeping? Who cares if he's sitting? Or, but he's, in the, he's on a cushion in the stern? You don't need that detail. Only somebody who actually was there could tell you that he's sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Only someone who said, this happened. You want, so anybody who's got any doubt, you say, well, you can have your doubts, but look, there's this thing called faith, and Jesus was dealing with it. And this is what Jesus, this is the difference that Jesus makes. He instills a faith in us. And then we look at him and we say, is he the mighty God? Well, I would have to say, based on the story, and that somebody that wind and waves obey to that degree, I don't know about you, if that's the conclusion I would come to, you might come to some other one, but I, can help, I cannot, my, I am rocked. I, if I had been there, anyway, that, that, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. If he doesn't make those kind of differences that we can see, hey, I think, I, I have a, another great one, I'm going to leave it there. I think that's, I've already gone long enough. The difference that he makes, I, I get to do that, right? I get to just adjust as we go because I said, when I've said enough, look, I think he is that mighty God. I really do. I think, I think he's, he's, he's so much more. When I look at this, I look at this, this message and I see, let me finish it this way. I think there was so much more in that manger than what we can ever imagine. Anybody, did, you, did any of you ever watch or listen, listen to C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, in the final book, it's called The Final Battle. And in the final battle, um, there's a conversation that goes on. And they're saying about inside the stable, uh, one, one, one comes out and says, you know, What's strange about the, the stable, because the, the, there was this big battle between Tashlan, Taslan and, Ash, and Aslan in, the, in, in this, the, this, this stable. Like, lots of things are happening. But he comes out and he says, 
this is really strange. It's actually bigger in the stable. The world inside the stable is bigger than the world outside the stable. And C.S. Lewis writes that there was more in that manger than is in the entire world. How could something that great be reduced in, into a tiny manger that, would have, that is that mighty and that great and would bring that kind of peace between me and God? That's what he does. That's what he does. And he brings that kind of light. He, he opens my eyes to see that there's a God who loves me incredibly. And he's the God who instills faith in me that says, look, I'm going to inject faith in you so that you can trust me. I actually did things that, that give you, that are more than just empty belief, empty faith, but it's faith that you just can't argue with, faith that calms waves, faith, faith that stops wind, faith that can move people's hearts. That's Christmas. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, as we've looked into your word a bit, we have recognized that if we can't be moved by what you have done, by who you are, then we have pretty hard and dark hearts. Forgive us for putting you in those little boxes and thinking that you need to to do certain things to be our God when you have done absolutely everything to deserve more than all glory and all honor, all power that we could possibly ever attribute to you. You are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. We love you and we bow our knees to you. In your name we pray, amen.